Welcome to Leading with Hope, helping you lead like Jesus envisions. Hey, we're here with uh, Ron Walburn, who is the Dean of Alliance Theological Seminary and Nyack University down in New York, and he's been speaking today at our Holy Spirit Encounter. And uh, Colin's here with me, and we have some questions that are kind of flowing out of of uh, what we've heard today. And we've just sent all the people that came on a treasure hunt using their gifts to mm-hmm. minister to people throughout Regina. Uh, and, uh, and you know, Colin had a great question that he heard from some people around the room. And uh, yeah. so we thought we'd talk with Ron about it. Yeah, I guess the, uh, the idea was uh, one of the things we've been talking about is, and uh, Ron talked about and led us into is incubation and how we can in- incubate and practice um, the spiritual gifts, but also... I guess just how the spirit empowers us and allow the church to be a safe space for people to practice their faith, but not with any intention of keeping within the church, but also to share it outside. But one of my questions was, uh, I guess, and the most the one that really impressed about me with me about this is the idea of um, what sort of culture that needs to to be in because uh, oftentimes in western church we think of more as the pastors being the professionals mm-hmm. of the congregation and they are the ones who do the ministry but that's not quite the role that we see within scripture and so what would you say a culture of incubation would have to look like within a church or what have to yeah um okay well thank you kirk and colin for having me and it's good to be here with you and thank you for the warm weather um, so <laughs> ordered specially for yeah, you. Yeah, I think one yeah. of the things that you have to do in order to create an incubator culture is you have to prioritize the small group life mm. of a mm. church. Literally, uh, when I was a senior pastor, uh, I would say on Sunday mornings, if you can only make one meeting a week, don't come on Sunday morning. Yeah. Come to your small group. Go to your small group. Now, it was a little disingenuous because I knew that if we got <laughs> if we got them into a small group, we were going to get them on Sunday morning because that's where their small group people were going right, you know, on Sunday right. morning. Um, but you create a culture where the most important meeting of the week is that small group uh, because that's where they're going to be knee to knee. They're going to be known and, and know people. Um, that's where the character issues are going to surface. Um, and so then you have to really pour into your small group leaders so that they understand that they are um, the first ones recruiting, the first ones developing, the first ones mm. looking for gifts mm. and anointing and spotting it on people that are yeah. just coming in the door. And so you create, you empower your small group leaders. And so you got to pour into them. We would meet with them uh, probably once every two months and we'd do some intense training. Uh, we got them all on the same page. Uh, how yep. do you... Pray. What's the prayer model you use? What's the, you know, you know, how do you introduce the prophetic? How do you introduce tongues and interpretation? What does word of knowledge look like? And then our small group leaders would have to begin to mentor people in that yeah. and do that. And so that small group is where uh, that's the primary place of incubation in the local church. Well, that's it's really a change of models from maybe what a lot of people would look at, right? Because you know, when we think about small group leaders, like the Rick Warren model is if you can hit play, you can be a small group leader. Yeah. But this is a different sort of model, right? This is because a lot of people would say, well, that's the role of the pastor. Yeah. And that's not what we're talking about. No. Uh, that's where I think we need to shoot in the head forever the idea that there is a division between the clergy and the laity. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, do you have a call in your life? No, no, I'm just a layman. 
that mm. that question should never yeah. be asked yeah. because I think it's a false distinction. We are all the called ones of God, and mm. every Christian has not just one call, but two calls. Oz Guinness wrote a great book called The Call. I actually just heard him speak in New York City two weeks ago. I was with him, and uh, I told him that's still one of my favorite books of all time because he says that every Christian has a primary call to be the son, to be the daughter, to know their identity in mm -hmm. Christ. Yeah. And then their secondary calling is what's our response to that? Yeah. And so once you know who you are, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, we're not told to do anything. We're just told you are holy, you are blameless, you are sealed, you are seated in the heavenlies. Uh, Ephesians 1 through and 3 is all about identity. That's yes. your primary yeah. calling stuff. And then he gets to chapter 4, therefore, yeah. live a life worthy of the calling. What is your passion? What are your gifts? What are your talents? And so, yes, you need to, every small group leader needs to see themselves as a pastor. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you need to release the shepherds. There should be hundreds of shepherds in yeah. this church, hundreds of pastors who are then looking to call forth the gifts of God in people and helping them develop them. Mm. Wow. And so what would that do for a culture, I guess, in a shift with uh, expectation? It's There's still the, the equipping that the pastoral staff needs to do for the small group leaders sure. and kind of that, that rhythm. But um, how would it kind of look, in, I guess, in a practical sense with, you know, if somebody's in the hospital and... Uh, what should their expectation of care be? Like yeah. it, like in an old model, I can remember uh, one of the churches, the church I interned at was a smaller, older congregation. The expectation was if somebody's in the in the hospital, the pastor's going to be there in a heartbeat. Yeah. And he better drop whatever's happening to get there. Yeah. But... So here's the way you break them of that. Um, I find that people will drop the old models if they're getting adequate, good care yeah. from their small group leader. Hmm. In fact, that small group leader, that small group pastor, knows them better than the pastor knows them. Yeah. They know him better than the pastor knows him or her. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, for us, the first line of defense was always, mm -hmm. that small group leader was always the first one there, always yeah. the first one in the emergency room, you know. And, um, and then he would call in the pastoral staff as needed. But yep. people, were, people were receiving wonderful care from their small group pastor. Yeah. And we empowered them, and we trained them well, and they were good at it. And there are people in your church that are better at pastoring people than you are. Absolutely yes. there are. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excitedly discovering that already. Yeah. Some of the people I've had conversations with here at Living Hope and gotten to know, I am, I'm, in th I'm just thrilled with the depth of the spirit that I find in people here. So. And the other thing yeah. is, you have to give it away. You have to give away the fun stuff too. So when it comes time to do baptism, yeah, mm. yeah, okay, yeah. you may again because of polity issues, there may need to be a licensed person out there, you know, baptizing. But their small group leader should yes. be the one out there dunking them with you. you yeah, know? absolutely. And uh, and you involve them and you empower them and you let them see, hey, I'm more than just a, a growth group leader. Yeah, I'm somebody that's on the pastoral team. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is this is the type of culture that. I've, that we want to have here at Living Hope, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a community group leader and you have someone who wants to be baptized, you know what, Colin and I and Daniel, Eric and Shauna, we do not need to be the baptizers of this. Uh, we don't want yeah. to do it. First, uh, we will do it. I love doing baptisms. Don't get yeah. me wrong on that. Yep. But we don't want to do it if if they want you to do it. And so uh, talk with your group leader because 
you have this opportunity to invite them to do that and we want to give you free permission to do that and we want to help you to do that. Now one thing as you were talking about this Ron, when I think of back to when I was a marketplace leader and involved in the church, right? And now you're saying, okay, I'm a marketplace leader with all that involves there, but then now I'm going to be a shepherd to my community group. And it's like, that's a little intimidating. Yeah. And, and I, I just don't, like, it's like, that seems like it's too much for me. So it will be too much if we're operating out of a bounded set model. Mm. Because fee- people will feel like, oh, it's another obligation. It's another night out. It's another, you know. But if you're operating out of a centered set model, where people are going, oh, this is what I was born for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, my vocation does not define my calling. Yeah. Yeah. And I might be a car salesman, but I live for Thursday nights when I lead my evangelistic Bible study and I yeah. pastor my small group. And so it's going to take longer to find those people, but find the people who know this is what they were born for, that's what they're wired for, and then pour into them because it won't drain them of life, it will give them life. Yeah. So... I was made to teach. Mm-hmm. I was born to teach. Uh, I, I mean, when, before I came here, I was exhausted. I'd been doing administration all week. I'm a dean of a seminary. We're just getting the semester started. And, and people <laughs> yeah. say, why are you going up to Canada to preach and teach all weekend? I go, because it gives me life. Because mm-hmm. wow. yeah. it's what I was born for. Yeah. And when you help people find what they were born for, it won't be adding it on to their busy schedule. Yeah, It'll be... Yeah. refreshing them. That's part of that spiritual gift thing, right? Yeah. We come back around and so, you know, if if it's not, if the Spirit isn't enlivening you, giving you life in the midst of this, then maybe it's not the right place for you to be serving with your gift. and Or maybe there's somebody that you could tag team in your group, right? I mm-hmm. remember when I was leading a community group in Calgary and uh, I was like, I don't want to do any of the administration stuff, but I love to facilitate a chat. I love to to pray with people, to help people and disciple. And, and so, but I had a friend who said, I'll organize that. I'll organize the potluck. I didn't want to organize a potluck. That drains me. Yeah. Right. And so we shared that relationship in that and even the communication, right? They said, I'll I'll make sure the emails go out and and do all that. But I wanted to be the shepherding part of that sort of thing. And it's, it's how I grew my spiritual gift. And so the reality is you have to develop people not programs yes Mm -hmm. if your focus is programs then you will manipulate people to get the programs to keep working but but your your job as a pastor is to equip and release people to do what they were made for and guess what the programs will come out of that yeah but if the programs are driving then you end up manipulating people just to fill the slots and that's that's never going to work yeah yeah and so really the you know the helping develop people we're saying begins in the community groups that we have that we begin to use our gifts whether it's prayer ministry there may be someone in your community group that has a gift of prayer or prophecy and Mm -hmm. and being free and letting them use that gift express that gift but also calling it out you talked about that this afternoon Mm -hmm. this idea that we need to be a place that allows people to experiment as it were and call out when they're doing well, and you know, encourage them even when they make mistakes, right? Yeah. yeah. So, for instance, uh, my friend Rich uh, Velotis, who I mentioned, he pastors a church called New Life that's affiliated with the CMA in Queens. Um, I taught him to preach years ago, and he's a gifted preacher. And now he runs these incubator groups where he's teaching about six mm-hmm. to seven people 
to preach every year. And they preach sermons in this small group and they critique their sermons. And he learned that from me. That's wow. what I did in homiletics. Uh, we limited our classes to 12. And now he's doing it. Now what has happened is two or three of the people that have gone through this incubator are now preaching regularly on Sunday. And he says, these guys developed their gift. Mm. These people developed yeah. their gift through the incubator. Now people are going, can I do that? Can I do that? We got, they have people signing up for this preaching incubator wow. uh, months in advance. There's a waiting list to get in it. Wow. And so then when you begin to have small group leaders baptizing, when you begin to have them uh, prophesy, yeah. where did they learn to do that? In a small group. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, now you begin to highlight what his, the fruit of your incubator system. Yeah. That's when people go, how do I do that? And you launch yeah. them into the groups. Yeah. We, we talk around here, we use the language up, in, and out, which comes from Mike Breen and that. And when we talk about the in relationship, this relationship that I have with the, with the church, I'll often talk about how that in relationship is supposed to be like a lab mm. where uh, we can experiment with each other on what it means to live the Jesus life. Mm -hmm. And so that if mm -hmm. I, you know, if I treat Colin wrongly and he says, hey, that's not the way, the Jesus way of doing it, it's better I do it with him than with someone who is far from God because I end up blowing up that relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And I can experiment. And this incubator sort of, sort of idea is similar to that, right? It's yep. a place where we can experiment and we can discover the spirit-empowered life and the fullness of all the gifts and experiment with it in such a way so that when we scatter from our groups or from our church, that this is now we know how to use this right. and we can use it to expand the kingdom. That's right. Mm -hmm. It's much That's safer right. to do it in an incubator or a lab. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I guess one of the things I wanted to kind of draw towards is that we want to we want to provide the freedom for our community groups to be uh, unique, not autonomous and separate mm -hmm. from the the direction that we're heading here at Living Hope, but each of your groups is made up of different people and we want them want you to be able to tailor what your group needs. So that's why our sermon-based curriculum is a little bit looser. We don't expect you to walk through the questions, all the that are listed there, but it's because if you feel like your group and as a group you feel you need more time to pray with one another, that you would have that. So um, I guess in your experience with, uh, with this, the incubation style of community group, how did you foster uh, with your leaders the ability to maybe tack a little differently or put a different emphasis on? Or did you or how did you? Yeah, we, we gave them a certain amount of freedom, but there were things that we wanted them to have in common. Mm. Uh, like if you went to the name of our church was Risen King Community Church. If you went to a Risen King uh, growth group uh, and you were prayed for, we wanted them to know our model of mm. how to pray for someone. And so we didn't. Uh, we didn't, you know, allow them to use a Benny Hinn Pentecostal model okay, yeah. in, in a group because that's not who we are. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't, you know, uh, encourage, um, in fact, when it came to prophecy, we were very careful about no dates, mates, or baby names, and be careful with prophesying stuff that you shouldn't, you know, because yes. uh, you go from prophesying to prophesying, you know. <laughs> and so we, we wanted our groups to reflect the DNA of our church. Mm. And so we didn't let them go rogue. Yeah. You know, um, and so if you went to a Risen King growth group, some group might be focused on Bible study, some group might be focusing on ministry, but it felt like Risen King culture. Oh. Um, yeah. And so you need to create a consistent culture so that when people go to Living Hope, they know what they're going to get. Yeah. And it might be different, but it's still going to reflect the family. 
DNA mm-hmm. and the character of who you are and what you're called to. Yeah. Well, I guess I get, I want to throw that out to the people who are listening. Then, if you're if you're feeling a little fuzzy on the direction we're going, I know we're going through a revisioning process yeah. in trying to you know set the direction for the next five ten years here at the church. But if you need more direction for your community group, that's what we're here to do. We're here to support and build you up, and we want to help figure out what our culture is so we can communicate yeah. it. And that's right. Yeah, come and come and uh, come to coffee with Kirk where we're talking about that over the next six months. We're talking about what what is the culture? What does it look like? And as we do that, or, you know, ask to sit down with me and Colin or, uh, and we're going to yep. be reaching out in the, in the coming months, pass on this podcast as well, because this is part of building the culture through these podcasts. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get you to hear our heart and where the church is going and all of that. So listening to this is a, a great way to do that as well. I so. didn't think you drank coffee. I don't, but it yeah. sounds good. Yeah, it, coffee with Kirk, you know. Just yeah, I, I buy a lot of people coffee, but I don't actually I drink it. I think you should do kombucha with kombucha. <laughs> That's disgusting stuff, yeah, you know. I, like <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I Actually, I've never tasted it, but my wife tells me I wouldn't like it. So, And I've learned over the years to listen to my wife. Well, and she listens to this podcast, so I need to make sure I say that. <laughs> yeah, you could go a little further, go like Krispy Kremes with Kirk. Oh, no, we, we don't, don't have, have those anymore. anymore. No, those no, were American. wonderful when we had those in Canada, yeah. but uh, we don't have them. And we never had one in Regina. So, we didn't. Uh, no. Hey, what do I know? But in Calgary, we had a Krispy Kreme. And uh, I always went when the light was on and the donuts were free. I hope you have a good editor for this. No, we just let it go. (laughs) Hey, we're back with Ron Walburn, who is with Alliance Theological Seminary. And uh, he, when when you were here, Ron, you were talking with us a little bit about the prodigal. Mm. And, uh, you know, this week in our sermon, we're talking about the elder brother. Mm. And, uh, and you had some thoughts about you actually even put up the picture that that uh, Colin is using of Rembrandt from the prodigal son and that. So, uh, you know, you, you, and one of the things you said that is intriguing about this is that often the elder brothers are hard. They don't identify themselves as elder brothers. Right. Because they're doing everything that they're supposed to do right and avoiding all the wrong mm-hmm. things, they think they're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the clue is that when the father says to the elder brother, my son, you are always with me, and everything yeah. I have is yours. In other words, every day in my presence is a party. There's no party in the elder brother's heart, yeah. and therefore he can't engage in the party that everyone thinks he's part of because it's it's not real for him. Yeah. But because he is operating in the true, he thinks he's fine. Yeah. But there's a difference between that which is true and that which is real. Mm. And that's why I said it's possible to be prodigal, be, to be far from the father, while you're still in the house of the Father, yeah, and uh, and they don't know it until it gets revealed to them. Right. Yeah, and I, I guess one of the things I, I think about when I uh, think about that section is his desire to be near the Father. Like he didn't really desire the presence of the Father. He mm-hmm. just wanted, like the son, the younger son. We always look at him and we think, you know, he asked for the inheritance, but the elder brother was kind of around all the things that the father had, but he didn't desire the father's heart. Exactly. And so then you have to ask, what was his God? Mm. And his God was safety, security, stability, status quo. And the younger brother disrupted all that. 
Yes. Everything's yeah. a mess. And when he returned, he disrupted it again. That cow wasn't supposed to be killed till next year. Yeah. And and this young crazy brother is messing up everything. Yeah. And that's what happens to church people. When the prodigals start coming home, the lost start being found, the elder brothers are the first to object to they're getting the carpet dirty. They're doing this, they're messing things up. And uh is it almost like a sense of like he he became so comfortable with yeah. the assurance of the father's presence, and so like he just didn't want his comfort. I don't think he cared about the father at all. Yeah, mm. I think he cared about the status quo, safety. Um, I I think it had just become about the monotony of security, yeah. and he was living a safe life and taking no risks. And uh, and to be honest, he revealed his heart towards the father. Um, you know, he, when the father said, you're always with me, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he that's wanted. not enough. Yeah. So do you see, like, within our church, I guess, not our church, I guess you haven't been at Living Hope. You've been at it less than I have. He's been here about nice. eight hours. So, yeah. <laughs> but in, in Western church culture, what would you say maybe, like, the big comfort that we try and latch on to when it comes to, like, Western church culture? Is there something that you see, maybe prophetically, uh, that needs to be disrupted for us yeah. to step in deeper with the yeah. Holy Spirit. I think it's uh, the whole consumer culture thing that I mentioned uh, this morning in my teaching that um, we have become attractional mm. in our version of Christianity instead of missional, instead of incarnational. And um, and again, that started not in recent history. That started clear back you know, in 325 when the church got in bed with the government yeah, and the church and state, when they come together, we lose our prophetic voice and we develop a political voice. And then instead of going out and being salt and light, we build our buildings, we build our cathedrals, we develop our music, we develop our programs and we say to the world, you come to us. Yeah. Well, what happens when the world stops coming to us? What happens when they don't want our entertainment? What happens when the entertainment we're producing can't match what Hollywood can produce, can't yeah. match what the Super Bowl can produce? Guess what? We can't compete with that. And we're trying to compete in a game we're not even supposed to be playing. Yeah. And so we've got to come to the place where we say um, we're going to kill the consumer culture. Hmm. Uh, we're going to begin to raise up uh, missional leaders at a missional outpost, and we're going to bring the kingdom to a non-Christian culture in ways that maybe we haven't done before. Yeah, and the, the word missional, I'm just, as that's part of my job description, I latched onto that when you said it, but the idea of people wonder what's missional, but it's actually just, it's just moving forward with the Lord. Like it's actually tracking with him, or do you have like a further definition that might help uh, I, us? I would say being missional is finding ways to bring the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, wherever we go. And so we should be people looking for injustice and bringing the justice of God to bear, looking for racism and bigotry and prejudice and bringing the the equality and Mm -hmm. the love and the mercy of God to all people, Uh, not necessarily divesting yourself of privilege, but using the privilege we have to lift up the yeah. rights to make sure that those who have been disenfranchised uh, are getting equal access. I mean, that's kind of missional living. And most Christians, we live a status quo life. Yeah, we like our comfort. And so to, to step out missionally and actually engage the kingdom into our 
culture, surrounding culture is a little uncomfortable because it means we can't binge watch yeah. our Netflix series because yeah. we have the spirit is prompting us to get out of the house yeah. or invite other people into our house, which Canadians, this is Canadian culture. We like our homes yeah. to just be our homes and, but to open them up and allow them to be kind of like uh, waypoints for the sojourner and just that sense of the kingdom come to our neighborhoods. So. So, so I think a Christian that is bathed in the waters of consumerism and the ease and comfort of the status quo of Western Christianity they're the ones that are upset that the Syrian refugees are coming and mm. disrupting our country and our city. Yeah. And a missional Christian is going, yeah, the world's coming to us. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting to bring the gospel to people without even having to go to Syria. We can bring the gospel to them. We can help yeah. them. We can minister to them. Uh, and, and so I think the church in the West has got to get out of our comfort zone and begin to realize we're not first and foremost Americans. We're not first and foremost Canadians. Yeah. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. And we have a higher calling uh, than even just the loyalty we have to our own nations. Our higher calling is the loyalty to him, yeah. to Jesus. Yeah. One of the commentators that I read in on this prodigal was saying that it should have been the elder brother who was going out to meet the younger brother mm. in that culture. And That's it was good. the elder brother's job to usher the younger brother into the father's presence because he knew what a risk it was to return home. Mm. And, uh, and I thought, wow, like how much are we, I am an elder brother. Mm-hmm. And am I being that one that is meeting the brother and ushering them into the presence of God? Or am I the one that is just like, oh man, yeah. they're in my chair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or worse yet, am I building a wall to keep him out? Yeah. 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 That is very true. Yeah. No. Stumbling block in some sense of the way. Uh, in Henry Nouwen's book, uh, The Homecoming, he talks about it's his obsession with the painting, uh, Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. And uh, he, in it, he asks people, like, who do you see yourself as in this painting? And in the painting, it's it's the father and the, the prodigal son. They're in an embrace. There's a painting of a man who we assume is the elder brother kind of scowling from the side. There's another man who's kneeling behind. And then there's two women in the background, mm-hmm. even. And so it allows for this interpretation. It's a painting, you know, mm-hmm. personal mm-hmm. preference to put yourself in there. Uh, but he had one friend who challenged him and said, said, I see myself, you know, I came home as a child, but I didn't stay as a child. And now I'm, I'm not the elder brother, but I'm the father. And I'm welcoming people into the kingdom. And just... And and Nowen said that he was challenged deeply with that because he always like he just reserved that spot for God. Yeah. And but the Spirit convicted him and said, "No, I'm I'm dwelling in you. This is your role here on earth is to be my representative." And yeah. so we're going to talk about that in my sermon a little bit, yeah. like how we can actually move from either an elder brother or a younger brother's space and move into the father's space, not to replace God, sure. but to just. Inhabit that space with the Lord and welcome people into the kingdom. Make yeah. space for them. Truly. Yeah, I mean, so, Keller says in his book that really the parable should be called the prodigal father. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think Kirk mentioned that. I'll give yeah. props to Kirk about that. He, <laughs> he brought that up as well. So, Yeah, this we're moving from one prodigal, right? We're moving sometimes. And, and you talk about uh, how today we tend, we go from one extreme to the other. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when we come to Christ, we go from being the prodigal younger son mm-hmm. to the prodigal older son. And really where we need to be is that prodigal father. Yeah. Well, that was my comment today that as parents, we forget 
how many times we messed up in our journey with God. Uh, you know, we get to a certain place of spiritual maturity in our 40s, and then we have teenagers. Mm-hmm. And we expect our teenagers to walk at a level of maturity that took us 25 years to get to. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's when we begin to put the bounded set stuff on, on teenagers. And this is big. We've got to learn. You want to talk about developmental stuff that there comes a point where we have to decide to win the battle for the hearts of our kids and not just the battle for behavior mm. Mm. Yeah. and find pathways to their heart and let them be who they are. Yeah. Uh, let people grow and develop. Uh, otherwise, we become the professional elder brothers all over again. Isn't that what the Father does, really? Is yeah. you know the, the, the Our Heavenly Father does this, but also the Father in the, in the prodigal, is that he gives the Son what he wants because I think he's wanting to win the, the Son's heart. And God get, lets us live and to be who we are because he wants to win our hearts. Yeah. And sometimes that takes us far away from home. Yeah. But God still wants to win our hearts, right? He says, if that's what you want, yeah. have it. Yeah. But you're not going to find what you're looking for unless it's in relationship with me. Yeah. No, that's that's good. Well, I just, I thought of something. We just talked about a pendulum. You've brought it up. And uh, just talking about the the younger brother, the elder brother, they're kind of extremes of either just distance or uh, distance by proximity, just not desiring. Um, And you had mentioned um, when we seek the spirit, like, you know, either we we do it into excess or we do it into abuse. And so Mm -hmm. as a church, like, we're trying to come in find our way back to God and be in his presence. And we don't want to swing to extremes where uh, we, you know, I guess are just seeker sensitive and that we forget the elder brother needs to come home and care for those who are ministering within Mm -hmm. our church. Um, But also we don't want to just focus myopically on ourselves. So how can, uh, I guess the question is actually taking us on a different tangent as I talk. That's okay. You talked about the Holy Spirit and be submitting to the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, well, first yeah. of all, I think we're naive to think that we can reintroduce something that has been out of balance, <laughs> yeah. not used. Uh, I think we're a little naive to think, oh, we're going to do it perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Unlike the rest of the churches. And yes. we're going to introduce healing and we're going to do it at perfect balance. Yeah. Uh, you know what? When you reintroduce something that's been neglected, guess what? You're giving it a focus that is probably out of balance for a season. And that's yeah. okay because yeah. it's been out of balance the other way. And and I don't think that means you have to, you know, uh, go to extremes and, uh, you know, unbiblical models. I, but I think you do need to focus on something because it's been lost mm. for a while. Yeah, You know, A.B. Simpson really focused in on healing because the church had neglected it for so long. And there were people that said, we want you to come, but we don't want you to talk on healing. And he says, well, then I'm not coming. Yeah, what's the point? Because I'm, I'm going to do the fourfold gospel. The full gospel is what he called it because he realized he needed to emphasize that. And mm-hmm. so I think whatever it is you're trying to, to change, yeah. uh, if it's been neglected, if it's been out of balance to the other extreme, yeah, you're probably going to give it some emphasis that you know the other side, are, they're going to say, see, that's all you're interested in. That's all you're focused on. Yeah, it's, that, it's I guess, living with tension yeah. and like trying to bring it back ratchet it back into the attention. And it's okay. Give yourself some grace. We're not going to do it perfectly. Hey, just taking us back to the prodigal for a second. You've done a seminar that I was, uh, that I attended on reaching prodigals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of our listeners may have prodigals. This, uh, a child that they love with all of their heart or a sibling or someone 
that they're just love with all their heart and they have wandered away from Christ mm. and this is a burden to them. Yeah. Uh, what words of wisdom would you have? So, I, you've given some. Yeah, what, so what I'll, I'll tell you right out of my own experience, all four of my kids at one time were prodigal. And mm. now in the last in the last 10 years, Wanda and I uh, really focused in on how do we win their heart? It's, yeah. it's too late to try to make them behave the way we yeah. want them to behave, you know. So how, what are the pathways to their heart? And so we had to intentionally find ways to go after their hearts. And each one of our kids are different. They all have different love languages and interests. And so we had to enter their world yeah. and love them and not reject them. And, um, and even when we saw their sin and their anger and their rebellion, we had to stop focusing on that and say, Lord, let us love them as you love them. Mm. And I also had to learn to love the kids I had, not the kids I wanted. Mm. Um, because we all have a dream and a vision for what we want our kids to be. Yeah. And at some point, you got to let it go. Yeah. Because if you're loving this idealized version of your kid, then your real kid is going to feel the lack of love. Wow. And so you got to let go of your uh, you know, idealized version and begin to love them. And then the other thing that changed me, I told Kirk about a, uh, a vision I had. I was praying for my oldest daughter when she was walked away from the Lord. And I saw this vision of a field, uh, hillsides covered with thousands and thousands of sheep. And they were outside the sheep pen, so I knew they were lost. And as I'm looking at these sheep, I realized that they are sheep covered in wolf skins. And I'm looking in this vision, and, and that's the opposite of the biblical analogy. Mm -hmm. You know, we're warned of wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing. And now I'm seeing all these sheep in wolves' clothing. And I said, Lord, what is that? And he said, those are my sons and daughters that have walked away from the church. Those are the prodigals. And they don't look like mine right now. They put on the facade of who the world wants them to be. But make no mistake about it, they belong to me. So call forth the greatness of God in them. Yeah. Don't focus on the way they look. Focus on who they are to me, my beloved, my sons, my daughters. And that changed the way that I prayed for my kids. And then the Lord said, and there's coming a move of my spirit when my sheep in wolf's clothing are going to cast off the wolf skins and they're going to be raised up as my sons and daughters, the sheep of God. And then I got excited. I said, yes, Lord, bring them home, bring them home. And he rebuked me. He said, no, don't pray for them to come home. Pray that they would be raised up as the sons and daughters wherever they are because I've mm -hmm. positioned them strategically in the arts and entertainment, in the movie yep. industry, uh, in rap music. Yeah. You know, and again, it changed the way I prayed for the Justin Biebers and the Kanye Wests and the people that we've often been in judgment of. I began mm -hmm. to say, oh, Father, let them find their way home. Let them see what they were made for, what they were born for. Yeah. And... Um, and so it's my hope that we're going to see a move of the Spirit and we're going to see the prodigals that have walked away uh, cast off the wolfskins and reclaim their rightful inheritance as the right. sons and daughters. And now my prayer is that the church would learn to be the prodigal father, yeah. mm. a place of love, because the prodigals won't return to a place of control yeah. and manipulation and religion, but they will control to a place that loves their heart. Yeah. And that's what we've got to make sure that we become and we get ready for it. Yeah, we have the identity of the Father to declare. Yeah. If we know the truth, then we can share that. We can speak that into their lives. And it's not to change how they behave, but just to tell them who they truly are and that they are loved. So, yeah. yeah. Well, what a great way to end this series on the prodigal. Thanks, yeah. Ron, so much for uh, these words in this podcast, but also your ministry here at Living Hope over the weekend. Uh, we have been thoroughly blessed great to, to have here. you here. Great so. to be here. Appreciate it.